Father, it's so good to be able to say, fear not. And to know that we don't have to walk in fear. To know, God, that you are bigger than our fears. God, we love you. We commit this morning into your hands, God, for your purpose. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Good morning, Hope Church. Welcome. If this is your first time, we're so glad that you can be with us here this morning. My name is David Mathis. Uh, this is our co-pastor over here, Reuben. Um, God has called us as a church to have two pastors because he's called us as a church to have two languages, even though we've got really one family, one hope in Jesus Christ. Reuben's going to be teaching in the second service um, in the next hour. Um, I love it when our worship team puts a little Spanish into the mix of our worship songs. It just reminds us, uh, one, of who we are, as, as God has made us a church that does have two languages. Um, certainly, um, our family, some of our family here, doesn't speak a lot of English, um, but just the amazing truth that no matter what language we're singing, worshiping in, um, that we have one God who hears that. Um, and we can be in unity in different languages. So praise the Lord for that. We are continuing um, a study through the book of Philippians. Um, and I, I want to put up a map. Uh, if you could put the, the map up there of, of the area. This is from Google Maps and my little scribblings on, on Google Maps. I think it's good sometimes just to look uh, and remember that what we're talking about here is real people. These are real things that happen. And this was a real letter that was written about 2,000 years ago-ish um, from Rome up there uh, to this church. It's in Philippi up there in, in northern part of modern Greece. Um, but it, it's just, there's some cool things here I wanted to share. Uh, just that first journey that Paul took that ultimately landed him in Philippi to bring the gospel to uh, the, um, the Philippians. Um, uh, it, it came through here, and, and Lystra there was, was one stop along the way. And in Lystra, um, he, he picked up, or there was, a, there was this young man, he would have been a teenager at that time, that joined their group, that Paul wanted to come with him. His name was Timothy. Um, and and on, it was on that journey that Timothy then joined their group, um, and Paul began to disciple Timothy as this young man that had joined them. Um, and, and there's this, just this really cool story, if you read in the book of Acts, just of God leading them through and, and really telling them that this Asia Minor area, which is down here, modern Turkey, I, I don't want you to reach that area yet, which seems odd, but they're following Jesus' guidance, um, the guidance of the Holy Spirit. You see it over and over again, and they come through, um, and I w I'd like you to turn with me in the book of Acts just to see this one part, because it's just cool. Um, and, and it points to just God's hand in reaching people for Christ and, and also Paul and his company's obedience. So if you look in the book of Acts in chapter 16, this is the chapter where they do uh, ultimately get to Philippi. Um, but if you look, starting, starting in verse 7, and it says, when they had come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bith. Uh, Bithynia, 
but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And you'll see this multiple places. If you read through this, I encourage you to, where it's just that the spirit of God, the spirit of Jesus is directing them. So, okay, we can't go into Bithynia. So, so passing by uh, Mysia, they went down to Troas. Why, why, is, why is God preventing them from going into there? And now, now they go down to Troas. Um, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come up to Macedonia and help us. Macedonia is the area surrounding Philippi. That's, that, this was the call to Paul to say, come up here to Macedonia. Um, they need the gospel too. Um, and Paul would follow that. But there's a cool thing here. Then, um, then in verse 10, it says, and when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Up until this point, the, the writer of the book of Acts has been using the third person. They did this, they did that, and then now they go down into Troas by, by God's direction, and suddenly it changes to we. Um, it's very possible that it was in Troas that the writer of the book of Acts, who was Luke, joined their party. And from then on, we see it, now in the first person, we did this and we did that. And, and he might just be giving us a clue in here that, hey, there was purpose in God directing us in, in this way that they would go to Troas. And now you have uh, Paul and Silas, but also Timothy who had joined their group, uh, Luke who had joined their group, um, heading across. If you go back to that, that map again, you see Troas is, is down here. It's along the coast. Um, at least the four of them, I don't know if there was maybe more in their party, heading across the water now to Macedonia for the purpose of bringing the gospel, following this calling that had been a vision to Paul. Just really cool God's direction and purpose. Now, we'll find out in, if you read in later, there was a purpose for not reaching Asia Minor yet. God had people he wanted Paul to include that he would meet down in Athens and Corinth uh, that would be a part of reaching uh, Ephesus and that region there. And God had a plan for them as well, and it just wasn't his timing yet. Um, but just really cool. So now, now in this letter, um, Paul is writing from Rome to Philippi. This, you know, uh, Timothy would probably be in his 30s at about this point that this letter is being written. Um, but, but Paul's going to talk about a couple of faithful servants here um, and certainly the four of them were faithful servants, but he's going to talk about two particular faithful servants um, in, in this letter that he's writing to, to Philippi. So let's, let's read now, if you go back to Philippians in chapter 2, continuing on. Paul's going to write now specifically about two faithful servants, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. 
I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now these two passages are very... It's, it's very curious that, that, these, two pass, that, that this, these two men are spoken of like this right here. Because normally this, this part of a letter where you're talking about, I'm going to be sending so-and-so to you, or I'm coming or going, and th- that's put at the end of the letter, normally. Um, but here it's like right in the middle of the letter. Very curious, why would Paul do that? There's intent behind that. And, and the intent behind the letter, letter is inspired by God. There's a reason why it's there. Why would he do that right here? When we first came to uh, Texas, uh, we were in a mode of, of getting our house in order. We purposefully did not put a lot of things into our schedule. Um, we, we were focusing on our family, focusing on doing things as a family, um, and, and just uh, doing things better as a family, the health of our family, spiritually, physically, uh, in practice, and how we were raising our kids, our marriage, all of that was our focus um, in that time. And, and not long after we got here, we looked at something that we could do, physical exercise for the kids that they could be a part of, um, and we found Taekwondo. We'd never done something like Taekwondo before, uh, but there's this little place um, there in Kyle, and so... Uh, we signed the kids up and then realized, hey, we can join the kids in there. We could do that as a whole family. And so we, we signed all of us up. And, and really, with nothing else uh, as a commitment for us to do, we practically lived um, at, at the school, um, taking classes, ultimately helping to lead classes, being just a part of that school, investing um, our family into that. And... and uh, Mr. Shriver, he probably, I think he's okay with me calling him out. He's, he's actually a part of our body here. Um, they're usually busy because they do have, they, he's continued to work in that field and they're often at things on weekends, but he's uh, most of the time, I think, online watching. Uh, so hi, Mr. Shriver. Um, he, it's hard to call you Sean um, <laughs> because for so many years he's Mr. Shriver. Uh, he was, he was our instructor, our primary instructor, going all the way through to, to bring our whole family up to be black belts. You know, we got a black belt family. Um, I, I don't know that that means anything. But, it, but it's, it's this cool thing he brought us up. And I remember uh, in those beginning classes uh, where, here, I'm going to put this Bible down here, where we would be there uh, just learning the basics. And, and he'd, he'd teach us, we'd, we'd teach us a front stance, and we'd be standing there. And, okay, now you're going to do number two front punch, okay, and then hold that right there. And you're holding this right here, and, and he's going down the line of students, and he's saying to one of them, boy, that's, that's a great, I just love how the, the, the wrist 
the, the wrist locket, it's just pointed straight, and I'm looking at my wrist going, wait, oh, oh, no, that's not straight. Okay, that's better. And, and then he'll say, the next one, you know, your stance. I love how your back leg is just locked out, locked out, um, and, that's, and that's so great. And so, you know, we'll fix that real quick. Um, and then, then he goes to another student. He's like, I love how, you know, that, that other hand is just tucked in real tight and, and, and close. And, and I'm just correcting as he's saying these things, and then he gets down to me, David, you're doing so much better now. Well, later on, we joined his leadership class and his training class, um, and uh, I found out he's doing that on purpose. He had a strategy. Sorry, Mr. Schreiber, I'm giving away your secrets. In praising one, he was addressing an issue that was in another. I don't think that's a secret that, that's new because I think that's what Paul's doing right here. The context here is that he has been telling us that we need to have unity. We need to consider others' interests over ourselves. We need to have a, a self-sacrifice in, in what we do. We, these are important things uh, that the, the he's then pointed us to the cross and see, look at, look at this example in the cross in Jesus Christ. And now, yes, there's a purpose in talking about Timothy that he's gonna be sending to them because they need to be receiving Timothy. It's important for him to talk about that. And yes, there's a purpose in explaining why he sent Epaphroditus back because they had sent Epaphroditus to be with him. And, and, and he's explaining why did, why did he send him back to them and so that, that's important, but his placement of talking about these two men here, there's a purpose, I believe, in directing our attention to two men who exemplify what he's been trying to tell us just before this. Two men whose lives are examples of self-sacrifice and humility. So as I'm reading through that then, boy, how important it is for me to, to look at what's there, look at what's in those lives of those men, and compare against my own. I'm not, I'm not fixing a punch. I'm not fixing a stance. But I'm fixing the character in my life as I compare it against what he's praising in the lives of these two men. So let's pray before we get into this. Father, thank you for your word. God, thank you for the example of these men that your Holy Spirit directed Paul uh, to direct our attention to. And just as much as this was relevant to the Philippians, who at that time were struggling uh, with issues of unity within their church, God, this is relevant to us as we're looking to what is pleasing to you, what is the way that we should live, and, and characteristics that, that are good and that we should value in our own lives. So God... It is the most difficult thing for us to change things in our lives. We need your help in that. I pray that you would soften our hearts to receive your word and that at least in one area of my life, in all of our lives, that you would show us something that we can adjust, that we can change to be a little bit better for your glory. It's in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Verse 19 in chapter 2 says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon. 
so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. That's a little bit of a, a startling claim. I have no one like him. That in, in the Greek, that's li- it's more literally, I have no one of like soul. Um, you know, in other words, I don't have anyone who shares that same concern that I have for you Philippians. And as I'm reading through this, and as I'm reading through this whole, this whole letter, Boy, you get this sense of, of Paul's love for the Philippians, Paul's concern for the Philippians. And sometimes when I go in through a passage and I'm just trying to, to make sense of it, I'll, just, I'll, I'll doodle more in just like pictures and, and lines. And, and as I'm reading through, just piece it together as I see things. And, and at the middle of this, it, I've got you know, the Philippian people and a circle around them. And that circle is labeled their welfare. Love and concern for their welfare. And Paul knows that there's an issue there. He knows that there's disunity there in the Philippian church, but he loves them and he wants them to do better. He wants them uh, to thrive as a body of Christ. And who else then does he have because he can't go and Timothy can't go immediately. We'll see why that, we'll see a little bit about that in a second, but but he needs to send somebody um, in his stead. And who else is going to share that same concern for the Philippians? And he says, I have no one else but Timothy who shares that same concern for your welfare. Now, I think there's something to that, that Timothy was present. We don't see Timothy really much in the account uh, there in Acts of what happened. We see Paul and Silas, uh, that they were... They were um, they were beaten and thrown in jail, and we see all of that. Timothy was present, seeing all of that. Um, Luke was present, uh, seeing all of that. Um, and, and if you think about, we just had uh, David Sines just came back from his first mission trip to Honduras. Um, when he was there, since he was present, God established relationships. Part of David's heart now is for people in Honduras, specifically those that he met. And he actually shared that the other day, just this idea of if, if they were to ever go back, that they'd love to reconnect with a relationship that he established when he was there. So you can see how Timothy has a little bit of a unique position, at least in that one trip. He was there when, when the Philippians came to know Christ, and so he has some of Paul's heart for the Philippians. But as we're looking at this and comparing it to our own lives... He's saying, at no one else, I'm sure for the Philippians and for me too, I'm going, well, would I have been a candidate? And so the question, the first question that I have for us as we're considering this example is what is my genuine concern? What is my genuine concern? Paul said, I have no one like him will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. We see similar level of heart and concern from uh, Epaphroditus. Uh, if you move uh, to verse 26, speaking of Epaphroditus now, he says, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. So he, he's upset because he knows that they heard of his illness, that he was near death, and so now he's terribly concerned. The more you dig in this, you realize the level of concern that he has for them, just the fact 
that they're worried about him. Now, they had sent him to bring gifts to, to Paul, to be there, to minister with Paul. But now, uh, he's got this great concern for them. He says, indeed, um, he was ill, in verse 27, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, Paul speaking of himself, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. Now, in this, I, I think Paul is, is also circumventing any wrong ideas about why Epaphroditus was sent back. He's, he's praising Epaphroditus, and, and we don't know the full story around that. This is all we know in, in the book of Philippians about Epaphroditus. Um, but certainly, he's praising Epaphroditus, and we see Epaphroditus' heart for the Philippians. But if we go back and look, uh, as he's speaking of Timothy, he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Ouch. What do you mean, Paul, all? I mean, who's included in that all? You know, it, I, I was reading some commentators. They're all over the place. They, well, maybe it was just those that were right there with him in Rome. Maybe it was those that were further around. Uh, may, maybe it's just kind of a general idea of the state of, of Christendom. And I think he just leaves it ambiguous on purpose because the purpose here is for us to look at ourselves and consider, am I in that? Does my concern line up with Jesus' concern? Now, something really cool here is this connects the dots to say that circle of concern for the welfare of the Philippians around them, the love for the Philippians, that really, that's not coming from Paul, that's coming from Christ. It's in alignment with, with Jesus Christ's concern for the Philippians that Paul has that concern. And now he's saying Timothy has it also. What are the concerns in my life? You know, we kind of go through, there's different realms of, of our walk with Christ that have, I think, our concerns are in different places. When we're lost, we don't have Christ. Well, the Bible tells us our concern really ultimately is a selfish concern. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. Uh, there's no escape from really ultimately a selfishness uh, that is our sinful state apart from Christ. We come to Christ and suddenly something brand new is, is working within us. And our concern uh, then is, is as a child in Christ. It's, we're, it says we're born again um, as we come into Christ. It really is like being born again into a whole new life, a whole new way of thinking about things. And so a great part of our concern is just learning. It's, it's, it's learning about the word of God, learning about Christ, learning about this new life that I have and it's exciting. Um, but then that grows, and, and we get kind of to this, we're starting to grow up in Christ, and, and our concern starts to go outside of ourselves, and it starts to be towards the mission. And I can tell you in my own testimony, um, there was a growing period through that, where the way that I approached that was, what can I do to accomplish the mission? It's, I think I see so many people there. How, how, what can I do to accomplish the mission of Jesus Christ? And I come from a background, a family of engineers and physicists, and 
We're problem solvers. We're gonna, we're gonna solve the problems of the world. And so now I'm presented with a problem. All right, I'm a computer programmer. You know, here's what I can do to accomplish solving the problem of lost people. And in every good intent, um, I start pursuing my ideas of how to solve that problem. Um, it's outside of myself, it's for a good purpose. And I can tell you, when, it, when I left Qualcomm, I worked at Qualcomm for 14 years, I left Qualcomm to, to join this startup um, that was ministry-minded. And it, it was a God thing, it was God's leading, I believe, to bring me to that startup. Um, and there were some cool things we, we were able to do through that. God used that in a whole course in my life um, that has ultimately brought me here. Um, but I can tell you where my mindset was at the time was still growing. See, I thought, great, ministry-minded business. This is how, this is how it's going to work. And I'm going to be able to use my talents to go and accomplish the gospel. And there was really good heart in that, and God was growing me in that. But I still missed ultimately where God wants us to go, is that it's not my ideas of how I'm going to accomplish the gospel. It's me bringing my uh, intent, um, my concerns to match Jesus' intent and concerns. And so if if like when, when they were traveling through and, and they had this great intent and concern for the people of Asia Minor. But they weren't gonna go there unless Jesus led them there. And it's not about me solving, reaching lost people. It's about me following Jesus and sharing his concern and his heart in every aspect of what I'm doing and following him to reach Lost people. So what, is my, what are my genuine concerns? Are they wrapped up in myself? I just really look at my own heart, and I can tell you there's a lot of reflection for myself as I'm looking through these. What really is the substance of my concerns, and how well do they match the concerns of Jesus Christ? All right, continues in verse 22. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served me in the gospel. Now, there, there's this other purpose in writing this. I think Timothy, even though he would have been in his 30s now, still was considered young. For him to be coming to them, representing Paul, um, is possibly the last time they saw Timothy. He was a teenager. They are they going to take him seriously? He's, he's um, kind of uh, getting them ready to receive uh, Timothy with seriousness. Um, but we see here, Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. And that sense of a son with a father is like, um, we don't do that so much now, but bringing up your son in your trade, uh, training them and teaching them and in, in, in they would have been in the trade of reaching lost people with the gospel of Christ is what uh, now Paul has been training up Timothy in. Um, and you see Timothy's commitment, even from the very, that point that they picked them up um, in that first trip to follow and, and ultimately follow Paul, but follow Christ. 
investing his life in that purpose. So a second question, as I'm looking at the example of Timothy, I'm looking at the example of Epaphroditus, which by the way, there are four faithful servants in view here. It's not just Timothy and Epaphroditus. There's also Paul, and there's also our Lord Jesus Christ, the ultimate faithful servant as an example. But as I'm looking at them, the question that I have in my own life is how am I investing myself? Looking at how they have invested their lives into the call of the gospel, how am I investing myself? Look at uh, Epaphroditus in verse 25. Paul says, I have thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. How many ways is Epaphroditus investing himself? My brother, that's, that's my brother in Christ. That's relationship. He's not a loner by himself. There's investment in relationship. Are we investing in the relationships around us. A fellow worker. When, when Paul talks about fellow worker, it's typically in the context of, of for the gospel, the, the, the cause of the gospel. He's, he's a fellow worker in the cause of the gospel. We don't see any other place where Epaphroditus comes up. Um, possibly it was later after Paul first came to uh, Philippi that Epaphroditus comes into the scene. I don't know. Uh, but, but he was a fellow worker with Paul in the ministry. Another place that we invest ourselves, um, as a fellow soldier. How are we soldiers? Well, there's engagement in the battle that's a very real battle that um, is right there along with the work of the gospel. Uh, where we face an enemy that's not flesh and blood. We learned that from Ephesians. A lot of times investing ourselves as a fellow soldier means we're on our knees in prayer. On our knees in prayer. As a fellow soldier, uh, there's casualty. There's hurt. There's harm. So you have in verse 30 where it says, For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. It was for the work of Christ that he nearly died. It's it's, it's the work of a soldier putting his life on the line for Jesus Christ. Fellow soldier, your messenger, the one who is sent. Epaphroditus is kind of like a missionary. The word missionary doesn't show up in the Bible. Um, but, but the meaning of missionary is one who's sent out, who's sent out for a purpose, for the gospel. And, and Epaphroditus was, was a missionary to Paul, sent out to, to give him help and to care for his needs. ultimately a minister to my need. How, how should we be investing our lives? What's the right thing? I see Epaphroditus doing all these things. Does that mean that I'm supposed to go out and, and, and go to, to a far country? Am I supposed to? What, what am I supposed to do in my life? As, what's the adjustment in my life to, to change? Well, God's given us something that's for all of us to do. It's not... It's not all of us going and being a Paul or an Epaphroditus or a Timothy, but we are all directed to invest in the body of Christ. We're all directed to invest in the body of Christ. 
And as, as you're ex, uh, exploring what your place is in the body of Christ to invest in, that could be to, to be a prayer warrior. That could be to help with children's. That could be uh, to be an encourager to others. Um, whatever it is, uh, what you'll find is that when you find the purpose that God wants you to be investing in the body of Christ in, his spirit is going to empower you in that. That's what spiritual gifts are all about. Empowering us to invest our lives into the body of Christ, to build up the body of Christ. It's in relationship. It's in ministry to one another. It's encouragement to one another. It's ultimately going out and spreading the gospel to those who are lost. How am I investing my life? How am I investing myself? All right, the last question. As I'm looking at these four examples, including Jesus Christ, and I'm just looking about the, what motivates them. These men are passionate about what they do. What am I passionate about? What are you passionate about? As I look at these men in this extreme example, is there an adjustment in my life that needs to be made in those things that I'm most passionate about? What is the thread on Facebook that you're most likely to jump into and voice your, your opinion on? What are you passionate about? Maybe that's, that's where our passions mostly come out, is on Facebook. <laughs> or if you're younger, Instagram. They, your passions come out with a picture, not with, with, with words. What am I most passionate about? What were these guys most passionate about? They were most passionate about the servant, Jesus Christ. And we see uh, the language that they use um, in anything that steps ahead, in anything that's going to happen that's, that's before them, it's in the Lord. If, if I look in verse uh, 19... Paul doesn't say, I'm going to send Timothy to you. He says, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you. Everything is in the Lord Jesus. And, and if you go down to verse uh, 24, talking about um, himself coming to them, he says, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. And when he's directing them, because most likely it was Epaphroditus that delivered this letter. So Epaphroditus is right there, and he's telling them, I want you to receive him with rejoicing. How's that possible? I want you to do that in the Lord. In verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. It's all in the Lord, in Jesus. Their whole lives, everything is about Jesus. Let's read again what we read um, Last week, a couple weeks ago, earlier, wherein it said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And in verse six in chapter two, it said, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Jesus, the ultimate servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above all name, above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth 
and under earth. Jesus was the ultimate servant, and now he has been raised up above all. And it is our joy and pleasure and, and purpose and passion to follow him. Where, where does that come from? Turn with me back about 700 years to Isaiah. In chapter 53, about 700 years before this letter was written. Spirit of God speaking through the prophet Isaiah of what was going to happen. Jesus coming to the earth. In chapter 52, verse 13, it says, Behold my servant. There it is. Jesus the servant. Behold my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. That sounds very familiar to Philippians, doesn't it? And, and there's great stuff in here I don't have time to get into, but if we go down, chapter 53 and verse 2, it says, For he grew up before him, this is the son growing up before the father, like a young plant and like a root out of, out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was a common man to what most people saw. But the father saw him as his son, being grown up in humility, in the frailness of humanity. Verse three, he was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Hebrews chapter four says, we don't serve a high priest who doesn't know our weaknesses. And as one from whom men hide, hide their faces, he was despised, and we, let's see, man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has bone, borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. What were those griefs and sorrows that he was experiencing? Our griefs, our sorrows. Jesus has borne those. He has held those. There is no grief or sorrow that you've had that he doesn't feel right there with you. But then, he's borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. What atrocity is it that Jesus bearing our griefs and sorrows is stricken by God? Why? He was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities, for my sin, for what I did. He paid for it on the cross. There, bearing my grief and sorrow, he paid for my sin. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep, dumb, stinky sheep, have gone astray. All of us. We've turned everyone to his own way. The Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. So then Jesus did come to the earth. He did everything that was prophesied there. And as he was still carrying out that prophecy as a man here on earth, he spoke. And in John 10, in verse 27, 
Jesus said, my sheep. Those stinky sheep that put their faith in me. My sheep hear my voice and I know them. When Jesus says, I know them, that's a deep, personal, loving, I know you. He knows your name. He knows every weakness and brokenness and failure and fault that is in you. And he loves you. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Passionately follow me. I give them eternal life, starting now. Eternal life that we have with Christ is not about what the world has to offer around me. It's a new life that will go on for eternity and it's something new in relationship with Jesus Christ that I have starting now. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. It's in that that now these men have a passion to follow Jesus Christ. That's where they find their purpose. That's, that's where everything comes out of. That's, that's why they have genuine concern for the concern of Jesus Christ because they want to know what does Jesus care about? I'm a follower of Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and whatever Jesus wants is what I want. And so they invest all of themselves into a life following Jesus. Does that mean we all gotta go be preachers? We all gotta go be missionaries? No. God has a purpose for you. We need to just figure out what that is. God has a concern for the people that are around you. His heart for the people that are around you. You gotta figure out what that is. And God has a way that he wants to empower you to act and to reach that concern and need that he has in those around you. Let's worship our Lord and Savior Jesus. This worship song is directed towards Jesus. Worship of Jesus, that should be what we're passionate about in this life. Let's worship that. Father, you are the Messiah. And, and we can go from just pouring our hearts out in one song, God, of just the depth of your love for us, to the next song, God, just be jumping for joy for the life that we have in you. God, I pray that the reality of the life that you bring us would be there present in every day this coming week. God, that you would just put into our hearts your heart for the people around us, your concerns, your intent. And God, that we would get, <laughs> that we would get to see your Holy Spirit at work through us, making real change in lives for real good. God, that we get to be a part of that is incredible. God, I lift up this church, our family, into your hands this week that you would work life into us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.